You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Denim Audio Network. Well, hello and welcome again to The Way Home Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Darling. I am so glad to be coming to you today with this new episode of The Way Home. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're having a good summer and maybe this podcast will be some good conversation while you're mowing the lawn or washing dishes or on a summer drive on vacation somewhere. And this will make at least 30 to 45 minutes of your drive a little bit more pleasant. We have a wonderful guest today, a return guest, one of my really good friends. But before we get to her, I want to tell you just a little bit and remind you about my book, Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loves. It is out from Zondervan. It's been out a couple of months. I've been doing a lot of uh, interviews about it. You may have seen it on social media and other places, but I would really encourage you to get your copy. It talks about unity. It talks about what does it mean for Christians to love each other. Cynicism. There's all kinds of cynicism in the church today. It's almost a cottage industry to just be down on the church. And look, there's reasons for people to be distressed. We have scandals and things that have happened. So I don't want to be naive, but in some sense, we've convinced ourselves that God is not at work today. And I just... I think that is harmful for uh, living on mission today in the world. And so I think you'll en- you'll enjoy this. We talk about what battles are important to fight. What what are the things that qualify, as Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy, you know, to fight the good fight? And what are things that he, he warns Timothy away from, you know, uh, stupid and foolish questions? Uh, what are things we should go to the mat for? What are things we should not? Most importantly, how do we love our fellow brothers and sisters? So anyways... We'd love for you to get this book for your small group, for your, for yourself, for your family, for your um, leadership team at your church. I think it would be great. So you can go to my website, DanielDarling.com. We have links to all the places you can buy it. It's available at every bookstore, wherever you get your books. It's available there as well. So please get Agents of Grace. Okay, today my guest is Karen Ellis. Karen is the director the Center for the Study of the Bible and Ethnicity in Atlanta, Georgia at uh, Reform Theological Seminary. She is a real expert on international religious persecution, Christian persecution, and has written about this with such great urgency and care. She's written on a number of other topics. She's just a, a real knowledgeable, delightful person to talk to. She has a new children's book out about a civil rights leader, a, a missionary, an early Christian missionary that you may not have heard of, but you should. Great book for your children. And we talked to her about that and about her advocacy on behalf of persecuted Christians around the world. So I'm not going to keep talking. I want to get right to our interview with my good friend, Karen Ellis. Well, I'm so glad to welcome, I think, back on the podcast after a long gap, I think, between having you on, my friend, Karen Ellis. Karen, thanks for joining me. It's my pleasure, Daniel. It's good to see you. Good to talk with you. Yeah, it's good to good to see you too and good to have this conversation. Man, I, there's so many things I, w- I want to talk with you about. Uh, you have a new book 
a biography, a children's biography. Mariah Fearing. Mariah Fearing. Yeah. So I want to talk about her and what inspired you to write this. I'm very excited about this. But also, I'd I'd love to talk about ministry and a little bit about what are your specialties too is international religious freedom, all that stuff. But let's first talk about this book, about Mariah Fearing. What was the inspiration for writing this story and, and getting her story up? Maybe tell us a little bit about her and who she is, why we should know her and why uh, we should people should get this book for their right. kids. This, this release is here in June. So by the time this podcast post, it'll be out there and available for folks. Well, one of the things that, um, well, I'll start with, you know, it's it's a part of a larger series. So why did I write it? I was invited mm-hmm. to write um, on um, on overlooked voices, overlooked African-American mm-hmm. voices. And because, you know, I have um, my, I have this strange research interest of, you know, African-Americans who've actually experienced religious persecution for their faith and were able to differentiate mm. it from their ethnic persecution, which they also experienced. Um, mm. So I had um, I had encountered this woman named Mariah Fearing. And so when the Good Book Company approached me about uh, contributing to the series, which is a fantastic children's series, I highly recommend. Mm. Uh, you'll find folks like Amy Carmichael, Um, I'm working on another Mm. one with them for uh, Fannie Lou Hamer. You know, just extraordinary Christians who, well, it's called the Do Great Things for God series. And just sort of underscores for Mm. our little ones that um, God takes ordinary folks and does amazing things through them. So how does Mariah Fearing fit into that picture? Mariah uh, was enslaved on a plantation in Alabama. And uh, was emancipated in 1863 to 1865, depending on you know where you were geographically. And once she was emancipated, um, she had a stirring uh, from the time she was a child. She had a stirring in her heart to do mission and to a place that she had only heard of, only heard of as the, a place where there were other people like her. And that was Africa, the continent of Africa. And so she saved uh, she saved her money through as a seamstress, as a teacher, and uh, educated herself. She was an autodidact. Then she went to the Freedmen School, uh, went up to the ninth grade, which is it's like finishing uh, high school for us today. But she mm-hmm. went all the way through the ninth grade, uh, purchased a home, and began as a teacher in Alabama, and then met one of the first African-American mission teams led by African-Americans was the Shepherd team. So the Shepherd team came Mm. and invited her to go to Congo with them. And uh, she found herself making that incredible uh, uh, middle passage journey back to the continent of Africa. And she stayed there for a significant portion of her life. Now, when she landed there, what she found was – King Leopold II was rising to power and carving up that area of the world and was committing horrific uh, human rights abuses against 15 million West Africans or Central Africans. And so once she got there, she realized these these children are in the same position as me. They're um, They're being exploited. They don't have agency, and also the punishments were intense uh, for you know poor labor or for resisting the you know Leopold II's forces, and so she began to ransom children one by one, scores of children, and taking them into her home and teaching them biblical principles, mm. raising them up in the faith, 
and producing disciples. And all this, she started all this, Daniel, when she was 56 years old. That's amazing. Yeah, they had to. F- that's that's isn't amazing. that something? They had to force her to retire. Um, wow. <laughs> her denomination forced her reti- to retire because of her her health was failing. But she worked well into her seventies, almost to her eighties, and then she came back and continued mm-hmm. to teach uh, in back in Selma, Alabama. Continued to teach until she was in her nineties. So it's just an extraordinary story of God taking. A horrific experience that this woman had known of, you know, being denied her own agency as a slave, an enslaved person herself, and then taking that story and using all of her knowledge of what that experience must have been like in a completely different culture to ransom scores of children out of the similar situation. It's just, it's got God's fingerprints all over it. His his redemption is just so beautiful throughout the story. What an amazing story. And uh, it makes me think of some of those early missionaries who, African-American missionaries who not only had to deal with racism and prejudice Mm. here, but then were willing to go uh, and give their lives to be missionaries Mm. overseas. I think of uh, George Lyle, who I think, you know, now we acknowledge as probably the first overseas missionary from the United States, Mm -hmm. or Lot Carey, who organized African-American missions in the 1800s. You know, these people were, you know, the, the tremendous missionary uh, impulse to be able to do that and doing it at great, great cost yeah. to their lives. Yeah. And, you know, uh, and the personal sacrifice of, you know, giving your whole mm-hmm. life and your whole being to a people. Uh, and that we don't see a lot of those stories uh, promoted. There have been some obscure books that are now out of print about the lives of mm-hmm. people like Mariah Fearing. Uh, but you don't see a lot mm-hmm. of, you, you know, we, we need to see these folks and say, hey, these Absolutely. people are part of church history too and god used them the legacy that they left um left behind uh, she was involved in some significant translation works while she was there and all from you know all from this simple simple little woman uh who was not supposed to have a voice or agency in the cultures mm-hmm. in which she lived, and yet God raised her up to be something uh, something incredible. So one of the challenges that I met, because the books uh, the book series is ages four to seven, is how do you write about things mm-hmm. like human rights atrocities? You know, Leopold II was famous for his amputations. You can Google pictures. Of you know because we were well past daguerreotypes at that point they were taking photographs there were pictures of you know people missing limbs how do you talk about things like uh, enslavement and um, man's inhumanity to man and how cruel people can be um, how do you talk about the 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 stories of of the things like what what happened to Fannie Lou Hamer and the you know the necessity for um, justice and redemption in some of these situations how do you talk about that. For four to seven year olds, in an yeah. age appropriate well, way. I, so that's I mean, the challenge, right? Oh, I agree with you. You know, written a couple of kids' books, mm-hmm. and that's it, to me. It's much harder than writing for adults because mm. you have to really think through the mindset. But I'll tell you, the books could really have a huge impact. Uh, I, I remember as a kid just reading biographies and missionary stories mm. and how important they were in my development. And to be able to bring to life these people is really 
to me, so important. Yeah. So I want to encourage folks to get this book. It's called uh, Mariah Fearing, The Girl Who Dreamed of Distant Lands. It's published by Good Book Company. We'll have links in the show notes. There's a whole series of books that you might want to get for your children. What did you learn as you're working through this and having to read up on her? What are some things that surprised you? What are some things you learned mm. in, in the process of writing this book? So I, I chose Mariah. Um for a number of different reasons. First off, you know, African Americans have have always been involved in global mission. They've always been involved in uh, kingdom work, but we don't know those stories. And so, one of the reasons why I chose Mariah was to sort of uh, put some representation out there. You mentioned uh, Lot Carey and George Lyle before them. Back when we were all British, Phyllis Wheatley uh, working in conjunction with the Clapham Group. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's pre-revolution, right. right? And she's working with folks like Equiano, Otobokuguano. Like we need to know, and these people were publishing. Mariah never published, but these folks were publishing. So this is just an effort to kind of, um, to, uh, to, have African Americans interested, not just in missions, but in persevering under hostile circumstances in Mm. my line of work, have them realize that when you step out geographically into these spaces, you're not, we're not stepping into the waters for the first time. We're actually stepping into a stream that has been running Mm. with spiritual ancestors, mm. both uh, ethnically related to us and spiritually related to us. We're stepping into a stream that's been running for a really long time. And so these stories, uh, I, I learned that there's an incredible amount of not just representation, but empowerment and encourage, encouragement attached to them. Also, Mariah and I happen to be this year, the <laughs> the year of her publishing through, you know, through the Good Book Company, we happen to be the same age. So Mariah's 56. Mm. I'm 56. Mariah did not have mm. biological children. I did not have biological children. I have wonderful stepchildren mm. who I've married. Um, and I have a granddaughter, you know, who, you know, she, she doesn't know the difference. <laughs> but you know, right. here's this here's this woman who has by really by all accounts does not fit the typical profile of what a, a person doing what she did should do. And so you know, that mm. that's an encouragement to me that God uses every situation. So I, I'm, I see it as an encouragement, not just ethnically, but also for station in life. Um, starting starting something new. I never published a book before I was fifty six, so mm. I can I can relate a lot to what Mariah has done, what how God used her, and so it's an encouragement on a lot of levels. I, I just learned mm. that uh, there are so many interesting intersections of of her work and her life for those who are interested in Christian endurance under hostility, those who are interested in justice and redemption work, biblical justice and redemption work, those who are in interesting social stations of life. God's God's just never done with us until he calls us home and he's got work for us to do. Mm. Mm. It sounds like you're saying that you're just getting started. <laughs> I love that. Oh, man. I don't know. Maybe that's what God's saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. We'll be right back with our guest. But right now, I'd like you to listen to a sample chapter of my book, Agents of Grace. I'm writing to say that God is still at work in the world and to say that Christian love and spiritual unity are still worth pursuing. 
While I've been hurt by Christians, I've also been immensely blessed by Christians. Brothers and sisters in Christ have been there for me in my pain. Single mothers who made meals when my wife endured a serious illness. Small group leaders who gave me money when I was suddenly unemployed and scared. A pastor who called and preached the word of God to me when I was in despair. I've been blessed by wise matriarchs with arthritic knees who called on spiritual fire from heaven on my behalf when I was weak. I've been healed by friends who left everything and came to my side when I needed hope. Thank you for listening to the sample chapter of Agents of Grace. As a reminder, you can get this book anywhere books are sold. You can go to my website, danieldarling.com, for more information. But for now, let's rejoin our conversation on the Way Home Podcast. One of your, one of your, one of your other interests that I think is really important is your focus and a lot of your work on international religious freedom, you know, freedom for Christians overseas you know, uh, in, in closed countries or countries where there's a lot of hostility. I first wanted to say, you know, what in use has, you know, why have you had that sort of lifelong interest? What sparked that in you? Why do you think that's important? That's a great question. And it's a story that I don't get to tell a lot. So I'm so glad you asked. I, I became a Christian later in life. So I was in graduate school uh, and I was 25 when I realized I believed Within two years, within one year of graduation, I found myself in Eastern Europe just after the Iron Curtain fell. And into my hands dropped a book by a man named Richard Wormbrand. It was called Tortured for Christ. Now, you got to imagine this is, this is the early 90s, right? And Everybody, you know, my, my friends are reading Heinz Feet on High Places and, you know, <laughs> and I'm reading Tortured for Christ. And so, and, and I'm reading it in, you know, very close to the location where it, where it happened. And so I'm, at the same time I'm reading this book, I'm also watching people rediscover religious freedom, rediscover public public displays of worship. And so I'm taking all this in as a, you know, 25-year-old complete newbie. I know nothing about, you know, international global politics. I, I know knew very little about, you know, the Soviet Union and its fall. I knew very little about uh, communism and how um, how it was profoundly anti-Christ. So, but so I'm learning all this at the same time. And that, I think, that experience uh, sort of set me on a trajectory. I, I held a very romantic view of life under anti-Christian hostility for a long time, but talking with people who had experienced the excesses of the KGB, who had experienced the excesses of um, not being able to write freely write letters, you know, outside and send them outside of their country, but to have them, you know, redacted, have portions redacted, to know, to experience and hear their stories uh, was a significant imprint on me. And so I, I literally, I kept finding myself in these spaces where these kinds of Christians lived, whether it was through, um, you know, there's a big, uh, big festival in Canada called Mission Fest. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one year I went to Mission Fest as a radio DJ and was you know doing cutaways and I see myself I'm looking at this tiny little man standing next to me dressed all in black and and it's brother Andrew God's smuggler you know and so I'm like oh 
Hi, Brother Andrew. <laughs> I really appreciate what God is doing through you and had a great chat with him. And so I, I just kept finding myself in these circles. I linked up with an organization that I've been working in some capacity alongside them for almost 30 years now, and that's International Christian Response. Uh, but I have gathered friends from all other, from many other um, organizations, uh, parachurch organizations, people doing everything from church planting to legal defense, and just finding any way that I could to slide in and support and help the work that they're doing. And in that, I just sort of became um, a public face, I guess, or an advocate uh, for people who couldn't show theirs uh, through these organizations. And um, I learned a lot and I'm still, still learning a lot. It's impossible unless you specialize in one region, it's impossible to know the politics and history that contribute to anti-Christian um, hostility around the world and in and, 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 and all of them, know all of them. And they're, they're constantly changing because the politics and the, the histories and the, the culture is, is uh, such a dynamic environment. So I'm still learning a lot. And now with the Edmiston Center at Reformed Theological Seminary in Atlanta, we're trying to link up these voices and become one of a number of hubs where we can learn uh, we here in the West and in the freer world can learn from our brothers and sisters overseas and develop some conversations back and forth. So that's that's a, sort of the, the short thumbnail sketch of how I ended up in this work. It was really just, it was God's hand. But I always saw the connection between my experience as the descendant, I'm an American descendant of African-American uh, enslaved people, I always saw my connection between their faith under anti-Christian hostility towards their faith and their ability to worship freely and what was what I was seeing historically and globally. And so and I used to be in these spaces which are, you know, predominantly uh Caucasian in the West, in these spaces of, you know, of, you know, fighting uh, or or supporting people through persecution, and I used to wonder where are the black people? Where, where are the, where, mm. we, we get this, we get this space. And so that's mm. been a part of my work as well is pulling people, you know, pulling people in saying, look, you guys, we have this history, we have this connection point and we can feel this. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a both a pain point and an empowerment point. And we have something to contribute to the conversation as well. So, yeah, so that's how my research sort of began in the African-American experience and fanned out to the global experience, looking and searching for the commonalities and also the differences that are, that are caused by the difference by region, language, history, politics, et cetera. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting link that you make, both you yourself by your advocacy and interest, but also linking what I think many would consider to be two different worlds, right? The the historic struggle uh, of the African American community here, with you know racism and slavery and racism, Jim Crow and persecution of Christians overseas, and the way that you have sort of linked them, I think, is really fascinating. If you were to tell, if someone was to ask you today, what are some of the countries today that Christians here in the West should be praying for? In terms of hostility toward Christianity, uh, you know what are what are some of the top countries that come to mind in terms of uh, really aggressively mm -hmm. persecuting 
expressions of Christian faith. Right. So uh, Open Doors uh, has a uh, World Watch list that they put out every year that's very mm-hmm. helpful. And it's the 50 top uh, countries. And it's been interesting in the last uh, few years to watch North Korea be displaced by Afghanistan with the fall of Kabul, mm. um, to see Nigeria rise into the you know to the, the the top and and sort of see this this shifting um, environment. But um, I would say that the top five, whatever the top five are in their list at the moment, um, are certainly uh, areas of concern. But all all fifty of them. <laughs> Are they? They have such so many different dynamics, so many different drivers. Uh, you know, you can move from one region, and uh, you know it can be uh, a, you know radicals. The, the the radicals who are anti-Christian they change. You know, their their ideology changes from place to place. So you can have Hindu extremists in one area um, who are not just violating the rights of Christians, but the rights of Muslims and uh, any, anyone else who is not a Hindu nationalist uh, in one area. And then in another area, it's it's a government oppression. You have other areas where the oppression comes through the government working alongside uh, heavy cartel activity. You know, I think of Mexico when I think about that. So, so you can go and take a look at that list. And there are also, I think, another really interesting development that's come out of that from some of the names that we would know um, more, more easily, we would recognizably, uh, certainly out of China, there's a really interesting center called the Center for House Church Theology. Full disclosure, I'm on their, I'm on their advisory board, but I really believe in the work that they're doing. And they are publishing the sermons of pastors uh, and and lay people in English Mm. for the freer world to consume. And so we're getting a glimpse into their thoughts. And I, I think this is really interesting at this stage in global church history. It's really interesting to have an organization doing work like this because the church is beginning to speak to herself across linguistic and geographic lines. And coming out of a, you know, a place like China, which is, you know, which is more relevant to where we are today and an advanced an advanced an advanced a technical technologically advanced culture that is pursuing artificial intelligence in creative and often oppressive ways uh, into the lives of their citizens. Or something that's you know post-industrial revolution, <laughs> you know it's like oh wait a minute these these voices are seriously relevant for where we are today. So it's it's I I would suggest checking out the works that are coming out in English in people's voices uh, from China. So let's see we've mentioned Nigeria, we've mentioned India, we've mentioned Mexico, we've mentioned Afghanistan. Certainly, North Korea, but the, just the dynamics—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a, it's a phenomenally dynamic environment um, to be a part of, and we're a part of that. And you know, mm-hmm. Daniel, there's not a persecuted church, and there's not an us and them. It's we're all one. It's it's our it's yeah. We so right. we suffer yeah. alongside of them, whether or not mm-hmm. we feel it. We may not be experiencing what they're experiencing, but because we're one in Christ, you know, there, I have this analogy that I use of this, there's this town in Europe where there's this genetic flaw that people have where they can't feel pain. Mm-hmm. 
And so all of life becomes a hazard to them because their bodies can't feel pain. So you can break a bone, you don't feel it. You can slice yourself, you don't feel it until, you know, things are very grave. You can get an infection, your internal organs can begin to fail and you won't feel the effects of it. And we, I think, in the freer world are a little bit like that with the body of Christ, so we are looking to these opportunities through these uh, these new um, foundations and institutions and uh, educational institutions and centers that are springing up to reconnect those sinews and those synapses in the body of Christ and say, hey, you should be feeling this. Uh, my our, our leg is being is being jammed every single day, and we should feel it. And we feel mm-hmm. that we learn to feel it by connecting by reconnecting those points in the body through these organizations. Mm-hmm. That's really good. I'm so grateful for your passion for that issue. I think it's easy for us in the West to get comfortable and sort of so parochial that we don't see the world and see our brothers and sisters overseas. And so I'm so glad for your focus on that and your advocacy. Uh, I think it's so important. I guess my final question is, are you hopeful about the church, you know, today there's so much conversation about evangelicals. There's conversation mm-hmm. about the church. Church is declining. Evangelicals are too political, not political enough, or whatever. Mm-hmm. A lot of cynicism, yeah. you know. And and obviously there is criticism to be made of of the church in every generation, and ours is no exception. But how do you feel? Are, are you do you are you as uh, I, I think a lot of folks are kind of pessimistic about. Mm-hmm about the church, particularly in the West? How do you feel? I am hopeful, and it's more than a feeling, Daniel. I know that God is going to do what he said he was going to do from mm. the foundation of the world. He created a people for himself in the form of our spiritual parents. Mm. And he has promised at every turn of our failure He has promised to get us from Genesis to Revelation 7-9. He has promised to make Revelation 21 manifest from every nation, tongue, and tribe, a new heaven and a new earth, and we will dwell in the condition and better than the condition that we were originally created for. We were not made for this, but he has something for Mm. us that he has created for us, he has crafted especially for us. And it is better, <laughs> to quote my, my dear friend Nancy Guthrie, it's better than Eden. <laughs> it's better than, than what we were Absolutely. originally created for. And he is going to take us there. He has always kept a people for himself. Look at, look at Judah and Israel. When they were wild and out, when their leaders were, you know, politically captive and culturally captive and, you know, having scandals here and there and left and right, he still left the prophets. He still left a people for himself. He still left people waiting for Messiah, waiting for him to keep that promise from Genesis 3.15. And throughout the, 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 the New Testament church, you know, in the fulfillment of that. So I, I'm incredibly hopeful and it's not and it's not a feeling. It is a knowledge because I know whom I have believed and he will keep my faith. He will keep his people, his set apart people until that day. Mm, mm. That's such a great word and a great way to to close our conversation. Karen Ellis, one of my favorite people in the world, you and your husband, Carl, 
are wonderful. Wish our paths crossed more, but thankful for your work and hope people read it. Want to uh, encourage folks to go and get this book, Mariah, uh, the biography of Mariah Fearing for young readers. Uh, we'll have links to it in our show notes and to read everything that Karen writes. So hope people will be able to, to do that. But thank you for joining me. Today. I, appreciate I appreciate you, it. Daniel. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit DanielDarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at DanDarling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. Podcast.